Chapter number one is where we're going to be today, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you, and if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you, and we're going to refer back to these verses often today, so I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready, and uh, most of the verses will be on the screen today as well, but we're starting a series called Welcome to Babylon, and we're going to talk about how we can thrive even in the midst of a godless culture. And so I'm looking forward to diving into this series today. Daniel chapter number one, if you are ready, would you say amen? Verse number one, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Everybody say purpose. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Today, just for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. No your name. Know your name. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. God, again, we want to thank you and praise you for what you've done in our midst, even this weekend. We want to thank you for the work that you did yesterday and last night at the collective, the young adult event. Lord, thank you for filling this room with young adults that are on fire for you and hungry for your word. And Lord, thank you for the first service that we had today. God, I pray that you would meet with us in a special way here at the 11 o'clock. And God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say that would be exactly what you want us to receive today. God, I pray that we would understand what it looks like to thrive in Babylon, to thrive in a godless culture. Lord, I pray that we would understand what it means to live out and to carry out our God-given identity. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. how many of you would say that you are not great with names? Anybody like that? Not great with names? It's, it's kind of a challenge for you to remember names. Uh, this is something that doesn't come naturally to me that I have to make sure that I'm working at to remember someone's name. I've been caught in some awkward situations. You know, I've done the classic, hey, bro, good to see you, you know, things like that. And I didn't know this until recently, but there is something called the World Memory Championship. Has anybody heard of the World Memory Championship? Yeah, a few of you. And uh, just because you were in the first 
service, Daniel. Thank you. Uh, the, the, the World Memory Championship. And uh, every year they get together and they have different competitions to test uh, your memory. And one of the competitions uh, that they did in 2020 in Pakistan was this name uh, to face recognition. And for 15 minutes, you would be given as many names and faces as you could recollect. And you were to memorize as many as you possibly could. And in 2020, the world record was set in Pakistan. 218 names and faces were remembered in that 15-minute time span. I would be happy to get like five names. How many of you are with me? If I could get five, that would be a blessing. That would be miraculous, right? And, uh, and uh, the truth is this morning that I want us to uh, come to understand as we study Daniel chapter number one is it's one thing in life to forget who someone else is. The real problem, the real struggle is when we forget who we are and who God has called us to be. We live in a culture and a generation that is lost and confused, trying to discover who they are. I read several years ago, there was an actor uh, named Peter Sellers who played uh, many different characters, many different roles. And when he came to the end of his life, he had played so many different roles that he started to lose his memory and, and to forget what was reality. He forgot who he was. So many people in this generation in which we are living, they are discouraged and they are hurting and they are broken because they are desperately trying to figure out who they are. Why am I here on earth? What is my purpose here on earth? Why uh, did God create me? And there is a generation that is lost in trying to figure out who they are. And the result often is discouragement and depression and anxiety because we don't know who we are. But I have good news for you today because Paul wrote to the church at Rome and he said this in Romans chapter 8, verse number 37. Nay, no, in all these things we are, so he's going to tell us who we are, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That verse tells you everything you need to know about your identity. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, can I tell you today that you are a conqueror, that you are victorious, that you are in Christ. That means that everything that you do is through him. We are more than conquerors through him in Christ that loved us. By the way, can I encourage you today that the devil will try to jump on your back and say that you are unworthy, that you are a mistake, that you are not good enough, that you are a failure. But the Bible says over and over again that you are loved with a great love, that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. You are a conqueror. You are in Christ and you are loved. But so often we are accepting labels from the world and we are taking our cue from the world as to who we are. And admittedly, this is even more of a challenge when we find ourselves in Babylon, when we find ourselves in a godless culture, because Babylon has a way of messing with your mind. Babylon has a way of confusing you. In fact, if you go all the way to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, uh, we learn about a people that wanted to build a tower that would reach all the way up into heaven. In their pride, they thought, let's build a tower, and uh, they built this tower, and that tower was called the Tower of Babel. And we can make the English connection between Babel and Babylon, but in the Hebrew, it's the same word. And so Babylon was really founded as a result of rebellion against God, which led to confusion amongst the people because they were confused as to which language they were speaking and hearing. And then in about 600 BC, Babylon really became a world power. Nebuchadnezzar came to the throne and they became the most uh, predominant and dominant nation in the world. And then you fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible. So we go from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And the Bible says this in Revelation chapter 18, verse number two. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen. 
Now, interesting placement there in Revelation because at this point, historic Babylon has already been defeated. And furthermore, according to Bible prophecy, Babylon will never be rebuilt. And so why does John make this reference that Babylon, the great, is fallen, is fallen? Why is he making this reference to Babylon? And the answer is actually simple. Because Babylon is the personification of all evil. When you think of a godless culture and a godless society, that is Babylon. They are symbolic in the personification of that which is evil. And Babylon has a way of messing with your mind. And Babylon has a way uh, of confusing you as to who you are. And this all can be very discouraging and overwhelming and cause us to think, well, what are we followers of Jesus in 2022 supposed to do when we find ourselves in Babylon? And I have good news because God in his loving kindness, in his infinite wisdom, in his grace has graciously given to us the book of Daniel so that we can know how to not only survive, but also to thrive in the midst of Babylon. And so today, as we start this series, if you want to take some notes, I want to give us four facts about Babylon today. Would that be all right with you? Four facts about Babylon. Number one, God has a purpose even in Babylon. That God has a purpose even in Babylon. Let's pick up the text in verse number one. Everybody with me this morning? Verse number one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And so we see the invasion of Judah from Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar going into Jerusalem, completely destroying everything and taking with them all the survivors. Anyone that survived, they brought them into captivity. In verse number one, we're introduced to two kings. The first king is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the most evil king that is recorded of in the Bible. More is written about him than any other evil ruler. So when you think of evil rulers and kings, Nebuchadnezzar is at the top. That was the king of Babylon. Then the Bible tells us about the king of Judah. His name was Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim had an interesting upbringing, an interesting background, because his father was named Josiah. And if you remember Josiah, he was a king of Israel that became king when he was eight years old. Now, I have an eight-year-old daughter, and I'm here today to tell you that she is not ready to be queen. She still has some growing and some learning to do. But Josiah became king when he was just eight years old. And the Bible tells us that he did that which was good and that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Josiah was a good godly king. But then Jehoiakim came along and he took over the throne and he decided to rebel against everything his father stood for. He decided to deconstruct his faith and to leave everything that his father had done. And the Bible says that Jehoiakim did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. To give you a little bit of an insight into the heart of Jehoiakim, there was a time when God's prophet Jeremiah came to him. He wrote the words of the Lord on a scroll and he came to Jehoiakim and said, here's the words of the Lord. Uh, you need to repent. You need to turn back to God. You need to get the nation of Israel back on track. This is what Jehoiakim did. Are you ready for it? He took the scroll that Jeremiah gave him. He cut it up into little pieces and set it on fire. And then he commanded that Jeremiah be put in prison. There was a complete disdain for the words of the Lord. There was a complete disregard for the words of the Lord. And I want to remind you today that there is a, there is a disruption today that is taking place in our culture when it comes to the words of the Lord. There is a departure from the things of God. There is a departure from the word where there is a mentality and a mindset that says this book is just a book of antiquity. This book is not relevant or applicable to me today. This is just something that was written a long time ago, and there is a departure from the word. But the Bible still says this in Psalm 119, verse number 89. Forever... 
O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The word of God is settled forever. And this is good news because nations, they will fall. And presidents, they will come and go. And philosophies and ideologies will collapse. But I'm here today to tell you at the 11 o'clock service that the words of our Lord will stand forever. Thy word is settled, secure, preserved forever. And so there will be a departure from the word, but there will never be a destruction of the word. Uh, there will never be uh, the total. Um, there will never be the total destruction of God's word. And so Jehoiakim, he had a disdain for God's word, and as a result, uh, the children of Israel they were brought into captivity. Everybody tracking so far? And so now they're brought into Babylonian captivity. Now I want us to see verse number two. Here's where it really hits home. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah, into his hand. In other words, God allowed this to happen. The Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand. God was not surprised by the Babylonian captivity. He sanctioned it. He allowed this to happen. Now, it might not make sense to us. We might not be able to put all the pieces together, but I want you to know that God always has a purpose, even in Babylon. Typically, we want God to remove us from Babylon, take me away. But what happens when God does not remove us from Babylon and actually leads us to Babylon? When God places us for a specific purpose and assignment. It might be uncomfortable. It might not make sense. We might not like it, but God always has a purpose for where he has placed us. Can I tell you today that with God's placement always comes God's provision. He will provide for us each and every step of the way. I remember growing up, I've always been a big Laker fan. Any Laker fans in the room today? Anybody? Okay. All the spiritual people. Thank you so much. And uh, when I was growing up, I was a Laker fan and I loved watching the Lakers on TV. And, uh, and I remember every morning in elementary, I would go out and I'd get the newspaper and I would check all the stats and read the scores and, and uh, love following the Lakers. And I remember one day our family was having a family day and it was going to be a great day because my dad had bought us tickets to Disneyland and uh, we went to Disneyland and that night the Lakers were playing in a big game uh, heading into the playoffs. They were uh, playing the Dallas Mavericks. And I remember my brother and I were so excited to watch this Laker game. And so we went to Disneyland. We had a great time, uh, a great day. And then we got in the car. My brother and I were following my, my mom and dad and my sisters, and we were going to head home. And we had this perfect night planned. We were going to order pizza. Uh, we were going to watch the Lakers game. It was going to be a great night, a great ending to the day going from Disneyland. And I remember driving home, we hit some traffic. And I was bummed about that. And I was thinking, man, this is the worst. You know, we're hitting traffic, and we're going to miss the beginning of the game. And I was getting really kind of agitated by that. And then my dad called my brother and I, and he said, hey, uh, mom and the girls, your sisters, they want to stop and get Starbucks. And I was thinking, now is not the time for Starbucks, okay? We do not need uh, to stop and get any Starbucks. Let's just get home so we can watch the Laker game. And, but we were kind of, you know, irritated by that. And we thought, all right, you know. And so uh, we pulled over, and we were following my dad. We started taking some surface streets, and we were both kind of irritated in the moment. And then, eventually, we pulled right into the Staples Center, where the Lakers play their home games, my dad had surprised us and bought us tickets to the game that night. 
And see, my brother and I, we had this great plan for the night. We were going to go home and watch the Laker game and eat pizza. And we thought that was the best. That's the pinnacle. But my dad had a better purpose and a better plan. Can I remind you today that your Heavenly Father has a better plan, a better purpose than anything that you could ever think or imagine? With his placement always comes his provision. And so God placed Daniel and his friends right in the middle of Babylon. And you could think Babylon is great. It's powerful. But Daniel understood my God is greater and my God is more powerful than even Babylon. And so right at the outset of the story, we recognize God's sovereignty, that he is always in control, that he always knows what he's doing. And God has a purpose and a plan even in Babylon. This is something that uh, the prophet Habakkuk came to understand. I love the book of Habakkuk. If you've never studied it, I would encourage you to go home and read Habakkuk because it's so raw, it's so real. Habakkuk is just complaining to God about the questions that he has in life. How many of you have ever asked God why? Anybody like that? Like, God, why would you allow this to happen? And why are we surrounded in a godless culture? And why are you allowing evil to uh, rule the day as it seems? That was the question of Habakkuk. But Habakkuk said this in chapter 1, verse number 12. He was praying and talking to God. And he says, Art thou not from everlasting? He says, God, you are eternal. Oh, Lord, my God, mine holy one. God, you are righteous. We shall not die. Oh, Lord, thou hast ordained them. Who's the them? The Babylonians. Uh, Habakkuk was a contemporary at this time during the time of Daniel. And he says, you have ordained them, the Babylonians, for judgment. And almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. See, Habakkuk came to this place in life where he thought, you know, I don't understand why God is allowing this to happen, but I believe that God is eternal. He is everlasting. He transcends time. He is the Holy One. He is righteous. He is sovereign. He is in control, and I am not. Habakkuk came to this place to say, you know what? I might not be able to make sense of it, but I'm trusting that God has a plan and a purpose that I cannot see. And so we have to understand today that God has a purpose even in Babylon. Here's the second fact about Babylon today. Number two, Babylon has a predictable playbook. Babylon has a very predictable playbook. When we see what takes place in our world today, nothing is new under the sun. We see it happening all the way back in the Babylonian Empire. I want us to see it starting in verse number three. Everybody still with me today? Verse three. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain. Everybody say certain. certain. Bring certain, a select few, of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in, in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. And so out of all the Hebrew children that were brought into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar said, we need to get a select few and we need to bring them uh, into the palace. Now, this is all very predictable and there are typically four steps that the enemy has in his playbook. Are you interested in what those steps are this morning? The first step is always isolation. Step one is isolation. What he says is, hey, I need to get you away from your friends. I need to get you away from your family. I need to get you away from your faith. I need to get you away from your community. And you need to come all the way over here in the king's palace. Step one is always isolation. Can I tell you today in the enemy's playbook, he wants nothing more than to isolate you from God's people. He wants nothing more than to isolate you from the community that God has established and given to you as a blessing for your life. He wants you to walk in isolation. Why? Because wherever there is isolation, there will be instability. 
there will be vulnerability. Uh, this is why, if you read in 1 Kings chapter 19, the prophet Elijah, who had just called down fire from heaven, who had just seen God do some amazing things, the very next chapter, he cries out and he asks God to take his own life because he was in such a deep state of depression. The first thing to go in that season of depression, you want to know, you want to know the first thing that he got rid of? Community. The first thing that he did was he told his servant and his accountability partner, you stay behind, I'm going by myself. I don't need you in this season. And what happened next? The deepest depression that he had ever experienced. Why? He walked away from accountability. He walked away from community. Why? Step one in the enemy's playbook is always isolation. Step two is this. Ready for step two? Step two is indoctrination. The enemy wants to indoctrinate and to, and to teach the next generation. Now, we are called as followers of Jesus and as parents to train up the next generation uh, in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. But just know also the enemy is trying to train and teach as well and to indoctrinate as well. Notice it in verse number four. It says this at the end of verse number four. Whom they might teach. Everybody say teach. The learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And so they wanted to indoctrinate. They wanted to teach the young people. Nebuchadnezzar knew something. We've got to teach them while they're young. That is why what we see in our culture today, there is, there is an attack on children, and there is an indoctrination that, that, that is taking place. That is why as parents, we need to be vigilant that we are guarding the content and the curriculum that we are allowing our kids access to that we need to be vigilant, that we need to be the guardians of our home, uh, what entertainment, what YouTube shows, what we are allowing in our home. Why? Uh, the devil is going after the next generation. It's a predictable playbook. It's been that way since Babylon. The first step is isolation. The next step is indoctrination. The third step is assimilation. Assimilation. Notice it in verse number five. It says this in verse five. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So this is what he says. You need to eat like us. You need to drink like us. You need to dress like us. You need to talk like us, learn the language of the Chaldeans. You need to act like us. In other words, assimilate to the culture. The enemy wants nothing more than the church to start to assimilate to the culture to start acting like the world. I remember when I was in elementary, my family went on a mission trip to Korea. And uh, when I was young, I had bright blonde hair. And I remember being in Korea and all the boys that were my age in Korea would come up to me unannounced and they would just rub my head. And, uh, and I was always like, what's going on? Why are these kids just rubbing my head out of nowhere? And uh, then later on, uh, one of the adults told me that uh, in some of those certain places in Korea, they had never seen a blonde boy in their lives. And so they wanted to come over and they wanted to rub my head. And uh, I was trying to get used to that, even though I was a little bit confused as to what was taking place. Uh, but the truth was, uh, the truth is I was standing out like a sore thumb in that culture. When the children of Israel showed up in Babylon, they were standing out like a sore, th sore thumb. And so the first thing Nebuchadnezzar wants to do is, hey, we need to get them to look like us, dress like us, act like us, talk like us, believe like us, assimilate to the culture. So step one is isolation. Step two is indoctrination. indoctrination. Step three is assimilation. And here's the fourth one. And this is probably is the biggest one. Step four is identity confusion. We need to confuse them about who they are. But we need to get them by themselves, away from everything that they are familiar with, assimilate them to the culture, and then confuse them as to who they are. Notice, notice it in verse number six. Now, among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Now, this was much more than just giving them a new name because in ancient culture, your name was connected to your identity. Your name had deep meaning. For example, the name Daniel means God is my judge. The name Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. The name Mishael means who can compare to God. The name Azariah means Yahweh has helped. And so what was taking place is the culture and Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon wanted to completely redefine who they were. They were saying, this is who you are now. Forget everything that you thought you knew about yourself. This is your new identity. The devil has a very predictable playbook because we see this taking place on a daily basis in our culture today. This is who you are. But thankfully for us, the Bible has much to say about our identity. And so when we're confused as to who we are, what's my purpose, and why am I here, we can look to God's word and have a more sure word of prophecy. The Bible says this in Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image. Can I just remind you today that we are created in the image of Almighty God? And that means that we are children of God. And as children of God, we need to stop listening to what the world says about us. And we need to start listening to the one that created us and called us and shows us with a holy calling. The Bible says in Ephesians 2:10, we are his workmanship, we are his masterpiece which I love the thought of that because out of all of God's beautiful creation, you consider the stars, the moon, the sun, and the expanse of the galaxies and the universe. God says, out of everything that I've created, you are my masterpiece. You are my most prized possession. And here's what we need to know. God designed us as his masterpiece. Only the one that designed you has the right to define you. We need to stop accepting labels from the world. The world wants you to be labeled by your career, labeled by a relationship, labeled by a past mistake, labeled even by a sexual preference, labeled by a political affiliation. The world is trying to put labels on us, but we need to recognize and say, you know what? I am not what the world says I am. I am who God says I am. And he says that I am a child. I'm a citizen of heaven. I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The enemy has a very predictable playbook. Isolation, indoctrination, assimilation, identity, confusion. And today we have to stand strong on what the word of God says so that we can have stability uh, even in Babylon. Now, this leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this. You still with me this morning? Number three is this, the third fact about Babylon. Babylon must be met with boldness. Babylon must be met with boldness. Uh, Now is not the time for half measures. Now is the time to stand strong and bold in what we believe. Now, let's see it in verse number eight. It says this, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. And so Daniel purposed in his heart. He made a decision. He made a resolution. I'm not going to give in uh, to this culture. I'm not going to defile myself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Now, maybe you're like me and you've read that in times past and thought, what's the big deal? 
If Daniel and his friends were taken away from their parents, from their friends, from their family, everything that was familiar, you know, maybe the least uh, of things that they could enjoy is just a good meal every now and then, right? Like, so maybe if they were brought into the palace, what, what was the big deal? Well, I want you to kind of put yourself in Daniel's shoes and his position. They were brought into Babylon. Babylon was a massive place. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, the city walls surrounding Babylon were 300 feet high. Now, to kind of have something to compare that to, how many of you are familiar with the story of the walls of Jericho, when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Okay, the walls of Jericho were 30 feet high. And so the city walls of Babylon were 300 feet high. This was a massive place. The Euphrates River going right through the middle. And uh, they were uh, having inlets and canals. And they were building homes along the Euphrates River like a modern-day Venice. It was a massive place. It was a beautiful place. And now these Hebrew children are brought to the king's table. They would have had the finest food in all of the world available right to them. And if you're Daniel, you're thinking, you know what? I could use a good meal right about now, right? So what is the significance here? Well, if you read back in the ceremonial law in the book of Leviticus, the Bible talked about certain foods that would be a violation to the law. And so to partake of these foods during this time as Hebrew children, this would have been a violation to their conscience and also to God's ceremonial law. And so Daniel was bold in his convictions, and he said, you know what? I'm going to purpose in my heart that I'm not going to partake in these things. Hey, hey some people might say this is just an easy compromise. Go ahead and do it. But Daniel was resolved in his spirit to say, I'm not going to do this. Why? Because Daniel recognized something. Are you with me? Daniel recognized. You can place me in Babylon, but you cannot place Babylon in me. Hey, we can be in the world, but not of the world. We can be surrounded by a godless culture and still live for the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hey, we can be in Babylon, but you can't put Babylon in me because I am in Christ Jesus living for him and him alone. We live in a day today of moral relativism, which essentially means whatever you want to do, whatever you believe, whatever your truth is, go ahead and just follow that and do that. In fact, a couple years ago, George Barna did a study that said only 35% of Americans even believe in moral absolutes, in a strict right or wrong. And they said that, that in a young generation, their worldview can be boiled down to one word. You want to know what that one word is for their worldview? It's the word whatever. Whatever you want to do, do that. Whatever feels right to you, do that. Whatever your heart craves, go after that. Whatever pleasure you want, go after that. Whatever feels right to you, do that. But I'm here to remind you today that our feelings lie to us. And the Bible still says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And so we don't follow whatever feels right. We follow the will and the word of God. Daniel stood strong in his convictions. He was bold to stand for what he believed. Now, there's a second component to this. And I think often we skip over this component. Not only did he have the boldness to resist in verse 8, in the same verse he had the boldness to request. I want you to see it, verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he demanded of the prince of the eunuchs. Is that what it says? Look at verse number 8. Therefore, he requested. He requested. In other words, here's what I want you to see. Daniel could have had all guns blazing, walked in there, and made some demands. But Daniel was operating with wisdom. He was operating with discernment. And so here's what I want you to see, this balance that Daniel had. He was grounded in his convictions, but he was gracious in his conversation. So often we can err on one extreme. We can be grounded in our convictions, and if you don't see eye to eye with me, well, then just forget you. I don't need to talk to you anymore. 
or we can be gracious in our conversation and we don't really stand strong on anything. We don't really know what we believe, but we just want to make sure that we don't offend anybody. Daniel had this beautiful balance of being grounded and also gentle at the same time. And I believe that's where real spiritual maturity comes in. When you can be grounded in what you believe, but gentle in how you behave. And this is exactly what we see Daniel doing and demonstrating. By the way, this is how we are called to live as well. The Bible says in Titus, the Bible says in Titus uh, chapter 3, verse number 2, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. By the way, sometimes we think meekness, I don't want to be described as meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. It's being grounded, but being gentle. Ephesians 4, 2 says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Daniel had the boldness to resist, but he had the boldness to request. I want you to see the effect of it. So what happened? Daniel made this request. Let's see it in verse number nine. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. What happened was Daniel started to garner some influence. What happened was they really liked Daniel. They were like, man, Daniel's a hard worker. He's got good character, got a good work ethic. He's polite, and we want to keep Daniel around. And so God enabled him to have influence even in Babylon, even in a godless culture. And so we see uh, that he had some compassion, and it made a difference. And this leads us to our fourth and final fact about Babylon. Are you ready for the last one today? Number four is this. We have to recognize that there are blessings to be found in Babylon. There are blessings to be found in Babylon. Sometimes we can be discouraged and, oh, Babylon, and, oh, the world is so bad. But, but if we will have the right perspective, we will see there are blessings to be found in Babylon. Now, I want you to see how the story closes today and uh, how the narrative concludes in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse number 12. It says this. Prove thy servants. Daniel comes up with a plan. Not only does he identify the problem, but he initiates the solution. He says, here's what we should do. Verse 12. Prove thy servants. Test us. I beseech thee ten days and let them give us pulse to eat vegetables and water to drink. And so Daniel says, uh, let me introduce to you a new diet. Let, let me introduce to you a competition. And uh, he says, give us only fruit and vegetables to eat and water. By the way, this is why as a church every January we set aside ten days to go on the Daniel fast based on this verse right here. And uh, we do this to uh, pray and to focus on the Lord and his will. But Daniel says ten days, verse number 12, notice verse 13, then let our countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenances of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. And so Daniel says, let's have a little competition here. How about you guys eat whatever you want, the, the, the wine and the king's meat, and we will eat the fruit and the vegetables, and after 10 days, let's see who looks better. That's the challenge, okay? And so notice verse number 14. So he consented to them in this manner, and proved them, tested them, 10 days. Now, at the result, at the end of this challenge, we see God bless Daniel and his friends in four specific ways. We see four tangible blessings. And when I read these, I'm encouraged, and I hope you are as well today. Uh, the first blessing that God gives them at the end of this challenge is uh, a physical blessing. He blessed them physically. Notice it in verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their countenances appeared fair and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat that portion of the king's meat. And so they looked better. It worked. The diet worked, and they were blessed physically. And so God was blessing them in this manner. So physically, but not only did God bless them physically, he also blessed them mentally. Notice verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. 
And so God blessed them mentally. They were mentally sharp. They were growing. They were, they were gaining discernment and wisdom. And so God was blessing them physically, mentally, but God was also blessing them spiritually. Notice the end of verse 17. The end of verse 17 says, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God was giving him the ability to interpret dreams. God was giving him the ability to interpret those visions. And so he was blessing them also spiritually, but not only physically, mentally, and spiritually, he also blessed them socially. Notice it, verse 19. And the king communed with them, and among them was all, uh, among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom, and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and the astrologers and that were all that were in his realm. 10 times better. I came to encourage somebody today that the will of God is 10 times better than anything that the world has to offer. God's plan for your life, even in Babylon, is far greater than anything that you could conjure up in your own will. 10 times better. And so now Daniel is being blessed socially, and now he's earning favor with the king. God was blessing. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse number eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If we have the right perspective and we determine to stand strong on the word of God, uh, there are blessings to be found in Babylon. God promises to bless. Now, how could Daniel stand so strong? How could he have this boldness? How could he have this courage to stand up for what was right? Because he knew who he was. He knew about his faith. He knew that his identity was not in what the Babylonians gave him. His identity was in his God. And I want to close with this. Back in the late 70s, there was a professional swimmer. Her name was Diana Nyad, and she had this goal, this dream to swim from Cuba all the way to Florida without stopping. And so back in the late 70s, she went out and she tried to do this, and she swam over 70 miles in 42 hours, but she was met with a strong wind resistance, and she had to give up. She couldn't go on any longer. That dream stayed dormant in her life for the next 30 years. She didn't try again. But 30 years after that initial attempt, Diana Nyad, when she was 60 years old, said, I'm gonna try this again. And so when she was 60 years old, she started from Cuba, she started swimming, and she had a severe asthma attack and they had to pull her from the water. Then she decided to try again. And so on her third attempt, she started swimming and she was stung by a Portuguese man of war fish and they had to pull her from the water. Then she decided that she was gonna try again. And on her fourth attempt, she was stung by nine different jellyfish, they had to pull her from the water. It wasn't until August of 2013 that she finally was able to complete this swim. She swam over 110 miles without stopping from Cuba to Florida. Now, how could she accomplish something that was so seemingly impossible? How could she do something that no one else had ever done before? Well, if you ask her, she traces it all the way back to her fifth birthday. And she says, on my fifth birthday, my dad called me into the room and with a heavy Greek accent, he said, Diana, sit down. I've been waiting until you turn five so I can tell you this. And he opened up a dictionary and he found their last name, Nyad. 
It's a word from Greek mythology that means this, the nymphs that swam in the lakes, oceans, rivers, and fountains to protect the gods. The second definition is this, a girl or champion swimmer. And her dad said, that is your destiny. How could she do something that no one else had ever done before? She knew her name. She understood who she was. How can we thrive in Babylon? How can we find the blessings in Babylon? We have to know who we are in Christ. We have to remember our name, our God-given identity. We are not who the world says we are. We are who God says we are. We are his people. We are his children. Bought with his blood. The Bible puts it this way in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons or the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Our worth is in our birth. Even to them that believe on his name. We can be welcomed into the family of God. You can be a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And maybe you're in here this morning in this 11 o'clock service. Maybe you're watching online today. And I want you to know that if you don't know that you have a relationship with the God that created you, you can leave this place knowing who you are in Christ. You can leave this place knowing that you are a son or daughter. You can leave knowing that you have a home in heaven and that you are in the family of God. And it is not based on religion or your performance. It is not based on good deeds. It is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. The only question is, have you received the gift? Not have you measured up. We all fall short of the glory of God. In fact, Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. You think of your best day and you live the best possible life without sinning, without thinking a wrong thought, and we will still fall short of God's perfect standard. There is none righteous, no, not one. That is why when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died in our place as the perfect, spotless substitute. And he died, and three days later, he rose again. And that is why we can sing like we did today, talking about welcome resurrection, the dead will live again because Jesus Christ is alive and well today. And if you have never received that gift today, you can pray, you can call upon the name of the Lord and the Bible promises you shall be saved. And so today, if you've never done that, I would encourage you today can be the day of salvation for you.